Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Hello, I am so glad to be with you guys. My name is Josh Gray. I get the privilege of being the lead servant uh, of this fantastic body of believers. Uh, hello to our fabulous online family, all of you guys. We love you. We are so proud to call you family and that you'd be here and choose to join us. So thanks for uh, being with us again. Um, I've had a couple comments that uh, I have to happen to have some bronzeness going on on this body. I don't know if the lights are doing it justice. I was uh, privileged to be able to um, take a mini vacation with my wife and two of my children. The Air Force said, no, your son cannot go. So the Air Force, kind of that's kind of the way that they roll. But um, we went to a uh, privilege of going to the big island of Hawaii and so we got to go over there for about four day, five days, four days of a mini vacation. And then it was wrapped into a church conference. Uh, and the church conference was put on by the Solomon Foundation, which are the people that uh, helped us pr- get our building that we're in, the mall and everything here. And so they put it on and they really care about their pastors. And there was about 300 people there, about 125 pastors from around the country that they've helped out. And do you know that the Christian church in America is winning all over America. Do you know there's cool things happening in a gazillion I meet pastor after pastor after pastor about how awesome things are going and how things are growing. There's some folks that are having challenges and different things anyway, but like God is winning. We know the end of the story. We know the end of the story that God wins. And so sometimes maybe it doesn't feel like it or we feel persecuted and we will be persecuted. We will be persecuted, especially if we're on the right team serving God wholeheartedly. Like it says that that will happen to us, and that's okay, but the church is winning. And so uh, what did I learn on this conference? Let's just talk about that briefly here. What did I learn? Um, I learned that some pastors are really tired. I did not know how tired I was spiritually, physically, and emotionally. I remember a saying that said, uh, the best thing that you can give your spouse, the best thing you can give your children, the best thing you can give your friends, the best thing that you can give to your church is the healthy version of you. And you know who's responsible for having a healthy version of you? Amen. Not me. I'm not responsible for having a healthy version of you guys. I'm responsible for having a healthy version of me. So I sat in some different sessions. One of the sessions I sat in was uh, by Dr. Wes Beavis. <laughs> um, for anybody who's in that genre, a couple of us, it's his name. He's awesome. He's awesome. And I sat in two of his sessions uh, called How to Avoid Pastoral Burnout. I was like, oh, cool. Well, pastors get burned out. Why is that? And he got his doctorate. He did his doctorate uh, in a very specific group of studying restoration movement churches and he interviewed thousands of pastors and figured out how and why and where they get burnout. And then he started this roadmap, and he started going down this roadmap, and I was like, I visited some of these places on the roadmap. And so um, it was good. It was really good. And it kind of led me even thinking uh, some more about the sermon today. 
Because you can understand or feel or realize that you may be close to burnout or maybe you're not being the dad that you want to be or the mom that you want to be or the grandparents that you want to be or the employee that you want to be. You can have that recognition or recognition of that. But that doesn't solve the problem is just recognizing that. You have to actually do something about it. And so as I was thinking about this sermon this week, when I was off, I did think about the sermon. I sat there by the waves getting sun burnt a little bit, thinking about Corinthians. And uh, I wanted to title this sermon, Correctable. Correctable. And I was thinking quite a bit about uh, Paul and what he was saying to the folks in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I was thinking about how they would take it. And I was thinking about, yeah, those, those people. And then I started thinking about some of you. And then, like the Lord always does, he got the opportunity to turn it right to me. Josh, how are you doing in this area of your life? So let's dive into the text early on here, and we'll revisit this uh, a bunch of times. Brothers and sisters. I love that. I love that. Brothers and sisters. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ, you big babies. In a letter, too. They don't even get to see his emotion, his face, his eyes, his heart behind that. This is just a, a reading. Somebody come up here like, all right, real life. You guys are worldly. You guys, you are mere infants, you big babies. Think about your mind and where you'd be going and how you might take this, especially if you hadn't seen me in two or three or four years. I'm not Paul. I'm not calling you big babies. But put yourself in their shoes. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Good point here. A disciple, which Paul was, obviously making, making disciples, a disciple knows what the people that he's discipling need. A disciple knows what people need. A more, mature, a more maturing disciple knows what less mature disciples need. And maturity in church doesn't come just with age. You can mature in your knowledge and not mature in your heart and be very deadly for, for, the, for the kingdom. You can mature in knowledge but not mature in your heart and be very deadly in the kingdom. So maturity isn't, I've seen some guys in here that are, that are 29 years old that I'm just like, man, I want to sit down and talk with them. I need to learn more from them. They, are, they have got it going on. And I've sat with folks that, not in our church, but in other churches that are 65 and they could quote everything from the Bible, but they couldn't relate to a piece of paper. They're just offensive. The way they use the text. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and the other says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What makes you different from the rest of the world? What makes you different, Corinthians, from where you are? You're not, you're not being any different. You're arguing over the same things that they argue over in Athens. You're talking about who's greater and what's philosophy and who's this guy I'm going to follow and this, all those things. Nobody can even tell 
that you're different. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul, only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task? I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's filled, God's building. Let's just let that marinate. Corinthians, Moscowians. It's interesting, my time uh, hanging out with all these pastors and on occasion there's kind of like, hi, well, I'm Big Bob here. I've got a church of 4,000. You know, you're like, hi, I'm little Bob. I got a church of 600, you know, you know, the churches that are having like deep, deep impact. It's the pastors that are motivating the churches and inspiring the people in the church to be God's building, to be ministering right where they work, play and live life. They're changing entire communities. We're not here to build a big building. We're not here to build the name of real life or the name of whoever your pastor is. We're here to build the kingdom of God. And we do that by growing up, by growing up in our faith. And if you think that growing up in your faith is showing up on Sunday for 30 minutes and hearing a message from a guy like me, you're in trouble. That will not do it. There are too many influences in this world. During the other 167 and a half hours of your week. That are going to tell you different things. But we are called to grow in our own maturity. We have to stay correctable. We have to choose. For we are are co-workers in God's service. I love introducing myself on occasion as the lead servant. And it's not to sound smug or, or any of those things, but like, that's what I'm doing. I'm just trying to serve God. And you guys get to watch it on occasion and you get to see me fail. And that's all I want you to do is just serve God. Serve God the way he's uniquely designed you to serve him. Paul is pleading. He's pleading for and he's expecting this church, this church in Corinth these Corinthians to grow, to not grow old in the faith, but grow up in the faith. Verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I lay the foundations as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. There is nothing other than Jesus, he says. You have all the statues, all of the, all of the, the Roman influence, all of the temples, all of these things surrounding your life. You know, we don't have any of those things. Not in your pocket. Not in the television, I mean television. Like that's the temple, right? I have a 75-inch temple at my house. It's like, 
this thing. It's like that big. My dad bought it for me. There's lots of distractions, but there's nothing other than Jesus to build a foundation on. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, or costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So ask yourself, are you guys building? Are you building anything? Are you building well? Are you building with gold? Are you building with silver? Are you building with costly costly stones? Are you building with something that's of value to you? You're building a foundation. I don't know if I'm doing that. No, you are. And it'll be tested. Dig your well before you're thirsty spiritually. Dig your well before you're thirsty financially. Dig your well before you're thirsty in your relationship with your spouse. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So this topic about being correctable or being teachable is kind of near and dear to my heart. You guys have heard me call you guys fat before. I asked the question, are you fat? Are you faithful? Are you available? Are you teachable? I find these areas critical for myself and I have to ask myself. I asked myself a lot of those questions on my vacation and on my, at the conference I was at. Am I really teachable? So here's some thoughts. Let's see if any of these make you want to write them down at all. You don't have to, but just see if any of these. Are you teachable? Ask yourself this question. Am I open to other people's ideas? Do I listen more than I talk? Am I open to changing my opinion based on new information? Do I readily admit when I'm wrong? Do I observe before acting on a situation? Do I ask questions? Am I willing to ask the question that will expose my ignorance? Am I open to doing things in a way that I haven't done them before? Am I willing to ask for directions? No. I where I'm going. How about this one? This one got me. I'm just like, oh, I don't really like this one. Do I act defensive when criticized? Or do I listen openly for the truth? Your pastor has some work to do on being teachable. This uh, text hit me, Proverbs 3, 7. This is a, I have the New Living Translation on here, but don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It's hard not to be impressed with your own wisdom these days, isn't it? Because you don't even know if it's your own wisdom because you have so many sources coming into your brain that you don't even know if it's your own wisdom. I say something, I'm like, that was pretty good. Man, I'm getting smarter. No. I want us to ponder this question. What needs to happen in my life to stay correctable? What needs to happen in my life to stay correctable? How would I have taken this letter? Well, it kind of depends on a couple things. Remember, This letter is to real people in a real place at a real time. 
Recently, uh, I got the opportunity to be corrected. I feel like I was correctable. I've tried to surround myself with people that will help me from blowing myself up. I'm good at finding landmines with my mouth, with my emotions. And so recently, uh, Adam McKeldry, our associate pastor, um, he had to call me out on something. He had to take a risk. I'm kind of his supervisor. But he had to take a risk to call me out on something. And I know Adam. I know his heart for me. I know his heart for my family. I know his heart for this church. So he was bold enough to correct me. He said, Josh, that email that you sent, that was inappropriate tone. The tone of your email was not good. You shouldn't do that. That's not, that's not what a good leader would do. Let me think about that. Let me reread that. He was right. He was right. And he said, you know, I got something else to tell you. No. (laughs) While we're at it, let's see how much relational capital we have. (laughs) And he pointed out a tendency that he's seen in me over our 15-year relationship that in its nature is pretty good, but overextended can make you look like a liar. Oh, all right. Let me think about that one. So being correctable, it takes trust. It takes trust. It takes risk. I trust Adam. So I think and I hope that the hearers of this letter must have trusted Paul. Paul had spent time with these people. If they took the advice about growing up spiritually, it was because they trusted Paul. This is a quote from John Maxwell, who is quoting John Wooden. Multiple quotes in here. Teachability is not so much about competence and mental capacity as it is about attitude. It is the desire to listen, learn, and apply. I take those to the scripture that you already know, and I'll see you guys in heaven. Listen, learn, and apply. It is the hunger to discover and grow. It is the willingness to learn, unlearn, and relearn. And he says, I love the way that legendary basketball coach John Wooden states this. It is what you learn after you know it all that counts. It is what you learn after you know it all that counts. See, a good mentor asks a lot of questions. Good questions from a caring mentor can lead to self-correction, which is better for all. (laughs) Correcting others can be risky, but sometimes you have to be willing to risk the relationship. Not giving correction is selfish. 
I was uh, having a, one of our discussions with my, with my wife as we were, we were relaxing. My wife desires feedback. She wants to know how she's doing. Not telling her how she's doing or how I at least observe that she's doing because it might hurt her is being selfish, but she's doing great. But she wants to know. She wants feedback. Another thing I see about correction is what is the heart behind the correct-er? What was Paul's heart as he's looking from Ephesus across the sea, as we can imagine this, to where Corinth would be? What is his heart behind this? Why, why did he say all of these things? Why did he tell them to grow up? Why did he say that they're not mature? Why did he, what was his heart behind this? Is he just trying to beat them up? Because correction for, for no good reason is just criticism. But Paul is pleading. He wants them to know that they are co-workers in God's service. So remember that Paul is addressing a, the, the divisions in Corinth. What they're looking like, they're not looking like, like Christians would look. They're arguing over who's greater and which teacher they should listen to. They're making a mockery of the cross with their continued immaturity. How about Adam's message last week? Anybody listen to that more than once? Holy schmoly. I was like, all right. We, he, ha, we he has arrived. He's a good teacher. The cross is about sacrifice. It's about restoration, and it's about inclusion. Paul stresses what's at stake here. This is about building the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. To infants, mother's milk is appropriate, but building the kingdom, God's kingdom, is not accomplished by babies. It's not accomplished by, by once a week or Sundays. It's not accomplished by casual Christianity. It's accomplished by people that are willing to grow and mature and living and breathing out what God's word says and how God has designed them in right where they stand, right where they stand, right where their two feet is. What was the, what was the last verse that we, I was having to sit on? For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. He has planted you somewhere for a purpose. You are God's building. It's not some temple somewhere else. It's not here. You are God's temple. You are who he wants to introduce people to. So take your place as co-workers in God's service. Take corrections well. Somebody that's growing, helping you grow. When it's necessary, say the hard things. This is a sign of maturity. It should never be a power game. Remember, this is God's kingdom. It's his field. You are his building. Does that feel heavy to anybody? You're like, whoa. I hope I'm a good field. I hope I'm a good building. That's all right. 
I was not a great builder, a good building at age 19. I'm growing into that. So how do we grow into that? Well, we grow into that by being people of the text. Let's look at Psalm 25. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. You're putting your trust in our government? You're putting your trust? This is a problem. This is a significant problem. Are you putting your trust, and I'm patriotic, this can be, are you putting your trust in the American flag? Are you putting the trust in the Constitution and your rights? Are you putting your trust in God's word? There was a big discussion about this. Are you, are you more of a, are you an American Christian? Are you a Christian who has the privilege of living in America? It's getting exciting. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come to those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Do your part. Be the field, be the building that God has called you to be. It's interesting when I think about how growth works in the Christian world. I went to this camp with my oldest daughter a couple years back, and they had these, this teaching moment about parenting, which was really cool. And it talked about three, the, these three C's, because it probably was a Baptist camp, so there are four C's, so you've got to have them all the points match the same. And I talked about that early on in your children's life, you're a caregiver. You got to do it all. From zero to six, you're a caregiver. You got to make sure they brush their teeth. You got to do all those things. Transfer that to spiritual maturity. If you had the privilege of leading someone to Christ, do you know what you're going to teach them? Do you know what they need? Because we're called to give an answer. We're called to help people grow. Do you know what they need from zero to six in their Christian walk? And then from six to 12, they said you're a cop. You're like, oh, ho, 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 ho. Would you know what to do with someone who was a six to 12-year-old, don't think age, think Christian maturity? Would you know how to, hey, yeah, I know. The Quran is a book that a lot of people have read. Let's talk about that. Hey, the Book of Mormon. I've been reading this over here, and this Book of Mormon looks interesting. Great. Let's talk about that. You have to help direct their paths. So you have a caregiver. You have a, you have a cop. And then when, from the time they're 12 to 18, you're called a coach. So think about somebody spiritually maturing from 12 to 18 and what it looks like. What would you do with somebody uh, that you are coaching that, that understands God's principles? And what are you going to do with them? Do you know what you'll do? Are you going to take them with you as you are going? Go and make disciples. This is as you are going. So as you are going, who are you taking with you? And then after the coach role, after they turned 18 spiritually, and they're an adult, they're a maturing adult, you become a consultant. And you know when consultants are, are best used? When they're invited in. 
And what kind of relationship have you built with people to be invited in as they're continuing to grow? Now you have, see, Adam was my disciple. I met Adam and gave him a handshake. You know what? You know, and then he's grown quite a bit. He has a master's degree in discipleship. He's kind of, he grew a lot. Now we're brothers in arms. We're privileged to build ministry together and we're walking together and he holds me accountable and I hold him accountable. But the relationship, and, and guess what? Somebody did that with me and somebody maybe has done that with you. But what does it look like? Do you know what it looks like? Do you know what your part is? I'll have a couple more quotes here. If you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it over? If you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it over? A coach is someone who can give correction without causing resentment. A coach is someone who can give correction without causing resentment. I don't know if the Corinthians were resentful to Paul for the way he talked to him about this. Do not let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. Do not let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. What is your part? So finishing up here, what are the pieces uh, that make uh, people correctable or that help us to be more correctable? Well, trust is important. Relationship is important. Do you have the relationships in your life to people that will tell you the hard things? that will tackle you right when you're about to step on a landmine and you'll be hurt and you're over here on the ground, but you didn't get blown up spiritually. Who do you have in your life? Why do we just pound on relationships here and doing life together? And when you are correcting people, what's the heart behind your correcting them? Are you correcting them to move them towards the kingdom? Because when you do these things well, God's kingdom will advance on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to take this time to go to communion. I am super excited to be able to take communion. It's been uh, three weeks for me because I had to pass the previous couple weeks. And you know why I had to pass the previous couple weeks? Is because we talk about when you take communion in our church, right? If you have ought against your brother, you should leave your, your offering at the table and you should run and go make it right with your brother first before you bring the offering. And so I had to do that this last uh, couple weeks. I had some work to do on that. So I'm pretty excited. It's interesting when I just, when I actually think about that process and think about like, no, I'm not just going to take it every week just because it's available to me. But when I go through the inventory of my life and start thinking, is there anybody that I have ought against? Is there anybody that I need to go make it right before I come to the table? I was like, oh, okay, okay. I'm going to do that. So if you're a guest with us and you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, we are super excited to share communion with you. Uh, if, you are, uh, if you're not sure what this is, we would love to talk with you about that afterwards and why it's important and what we do. But we are representing what it looks like. A mature Christian understands the power of the cross. A mature Christian understands the power of being correctable and also correcting and so Jesus gave us this opportunity. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this whenever you drink it and remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Let's proclaim his death. Father God, we come to you. Your word is powerful. Your words are so, so powerful. What you shared and inspired Paul to write to this church that he had planted is echoing in eternity. It's echoing in here today. It's echoing into this church plant that you call every one of us elder to pastor to to brand new Christian to understand what it means to mature in our faith. Father God, I just ask that you would just open this up to us this week. You would open your word up to us in a mighty way this week that we would be inspired to study and know and to learn more about you, to grow, not just in our, our, our brain knowledge, but in our heart knowledge and let it bleed out into the actual hands, to the field that we go into this week, to the building, the temple that you've created us, that, that what comes out of the temple would come out with authority and come out with love and come out with kindness and that would draw people to you because that's exactly who you are. People are drawn to you, Father. Help us be people that lead, that do the planting, Lord, because you do make it grow. Thank you for growing me and continuing to grow me. Thank you for continuing to correct me. Father God, I just ask that for everyone in here. Help this church to mature. Help this church to grow. Starting with me. We give it over to you and we say this in Jesus' powerful, powerful name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.